0: Welcome back to the program. This is your host, Ron Wells, coming to you live from the MyBillReview.com studios. MyBillReview.com is a website that can help you in your business or your um, personal bills, get them lowered, um, whether it be um, home security um, or your digital systems such as phone, internet, and the like. Give them a call or um, go online to MyBillReview.com. That's MyBillReview.com. they're one of my great sponsors that have been with me from since day one And this is the program Um, thanks for Joining me again My instant reaction to Parts 3 and 4 Of The Last Dance series Um, it's refreshing to have something To talk about, um, during the sports landscape I've been spoiled this week Between the draft and the lead up to the draft And now the last dance And, uh <laughs> It's just nice to have something refreshing to, you know, distract you away from all the um, other conversations of life that we currently have. It's truly a blessing to have these these things come out. Um, but the long and short, um, again, this is an int- introspective look and live look um, at the Chicago Bulls in their raw state um, in the 90, um, 98, 97, 98 season season. Um, and also a look back at their journey to get to that final season, that last dance. And this um episode three and four chronicled um basically the rise of Dennis Rodman and the rise of the Bulls past um, you know, their nemesis like um the Cleveland Cavaliers, um who are up and comers like them, um, or the Detroit Pistons or the Boston Celtics and things of that nature, the rise of Scottie Pippen and the rise of um Phil Jackson and the collective as a whole even the ancillary pieces that people forget about like BJ Armstrong Bill Cartwright and Horace Grant um Cartwright of course was traded um um from the Knicks to the Bulls um for Charles o- Oakley um who was an enforcer and if it was up to Michael that that trade probably wouldn't have happened and um you know Pippen and Grant came in together BJ was drafted in 89 Um, but the long and short of it, it also, you know, was a nice introspective look in knowing how all these parts came together. Let's start off with, um, uh, Phil Jackson. So Phil, they showed how, um, he came up through, um, South Dakota State, um, came a part of, um. The New York Knicks, for six seasons, won two titles as a New York Knickerbocker. The last time that the Knicks have ever won a championship was when Phil Jackson was actually a player. Then Phil Jackson goes and coaches in the Puerto Rican League. <laughs> Some crazy outlandish crap. Basically, they treated their basketball like their soccer. You know, car fires in the after a loss, um, batteries being thrown and things like that. Um, but long and short, he wins a the title there. Then he goes to the ABA, wins two titles, goes to, um, is convinced, um, um, you know, by Jerry Krause to join the staff, um, wasn't allowed to join the staff under the previous head coach before Doug Collins, but then, uh, Doug Collins is convinced to bring him on, um, and, uh. He grows close to Tex Winter, who becomes his right-hand man throughout his whole coaching career thereafter. Um, He's the one that taught Kobe the triangle offense. He taught Phil the triangle offense. He's basically the architect of the triangle offense. And um, to get a, a detailed look at what the triangle offense was, and one pass sets off in motion 33 possibilities of a play, you can see how iso ball and why certain teams of today don't win or have winning basketball because you can still highlight a player like a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal and allow them to score 30 points a game, 25 points a game, um, 28 points a game, but still allow the other parts to feel like they're involved with the basketball. And it's funny um, and disheartening in a way because some of those concepts were brought in by um uh Eric Bolstra when he remade the offense to fit um Dwayne Wade and LeBron James but as soon as LeBron left um after the Spurs lost um in the finals after beating the Spurs um the year before he left to go be in Cleveland um they had a coach named David Blatt who was a disciple of Tex winner's triangle offense he ran it at Princeton it was um where um, Tex winners, you know, you know, sent some of that footage over to Princeton. It became known as the Princeton offense at that point in time. And Reba- LeBron just simply rejected it. And David Blatt won titles over in Europe in the biggest league in Europe, the greatest league in Europe. Um, got him to the finals with some of those principles, some of those principles that he was running under Eric Spolstra. And yet he rejected it. And even though it doesn't allow LeBron to be the playmaker that he wants to be, it does allow some of that burden to be taken off of him. And he took the Warriors, who were clearly a better team, the first time around the six games with a bunch of trash after people got hurt. And then the following season, you know, cast David Blatt to the side and allowed um, um, Teron Liu to be the coach. Now, Teron Liu is still a part of, you know, Phil Jackson's little tree, Um, And so he still has some triangle um, aspects to the offense, but it still became a playmaker offense for LeBron James and that's it. And it's basically just get out of the way and ISO Joe this mug and let me pass it, you know, at the very last second and hope my teams can do what they're supposed to do. But getting back to the Bulls, Michael took two years to actually really trust everyone in the process. And Phil Jackson was a major, um, intricate part of it. Um, not just, you know, working with Rodman and his um, mindset in the last three titles, but in the first three titles, implementing the offense, you know, he pushed the Pistons to a game seven. And had it not been for a migraine, you know, to Scottie Pippen, they might have overcame that hump and the Pistons might have had one title. But everybody needs a break and getting to the, the title game. And the Pistons, you know, went ahead and beat did you, um, beat Portland in six after going down oh two. Pistons were a resilient champion. Um, they deserve all the credit that they they got, and you know they feel like they threw a monkey wrench in. You know the NBA's plans to transition from, you know Larry to Larry and Magic to Michael, and yeah, that's partially true. But they created Michael Jordan, forged him in fire, and a part, a big part of that was Michael letting the ball leave his hands, and getting a ton of assists, and really doing his magic. Like Michael had done it in spurts in Chicago where the final 10 games of the season, he averaged a triple-double with 38-10-10 um, back in 86 or 87, I believe, um, to close out the season. Um, but he had never done it to that high level of degree. His assist numbers, if you go look at when Phil Jackson took over and Doug Collins was let go, um, you can see Michael's assist numbers jump by two a game. And that's amazing when you think about um, statistical measures. But moving on from um, that, you know, you see in the final part when Michael finally gets over the hump versus the Lakers. Now, mind you, they come back the fi- next season after Phil's implemented as the head coach and they lose in seven to the Pistons. They come back the next year and <laughs> sweep the Pistons in the Eastern Conference finals and they win 5-1 versus the Lakers. This has a team that has his former college teammate, Sam Perkins. It has James Worthy, another former college teammate. It has Magic Johnson and D Divac, the best Euro to ever come over prior to... I mean, um he was the best Euro to date to come over. And he already had a ring with the Lakers. I mean, so like... Or he already been playing for championships with the Lakers. So... Um, The Lakers were formidable. They beat the Bulls to game one. And the, Le- the Bulls backdoor swept them. And Michael, you know, just releases this, you know, peaceful euphoria about it. And, you know, like they chronicle, you know, you always saw Michael snarling, always wanted to be the scoring champ, always wanted to be this, that, or the third. So when people tell, you know, like Shannon Sharp, are always writing this narrative that, you know, Michael always gets this credit when he loses. And then you see the headlines. The real story is all Michael was was a scoring champ. All Michael was was basically James Harden. That's how the league viewed him, was basically as James Harden. You know, never can win the big one, always losing in, you know, um, spectacular fashion, giving up leads, this, that, and the third. And Michael had to release the ball from his hands and not just on some you know, spread the floor assisting. No, he slowed down the game. He he in, truly integrated his team into the format. And it wasn't, you know, iso ball. It wasn't just running to a three point line. It was actually exploiting every single area of the floor, mid range game, three point line in the post. Allowing his teammates to do backdoor cuts and things of that nature and actually performing actual offensive feats and then getting back and playing two-way ball on defense and in building up his teammates to do those things, forging Scotty in fire, letting Scotty know that someone was fighting alongside him, letting um, Horace know that, yo, stop whimpering, stop crying, stop reporting everything to the refs and just get up and play ball. And then BJ, young BJ, you know, coming behind and being that for um, Horace Grant. And you see why they ended up playing together in Orlando and beating um, Michael and Scotty. Um, when, Scott, um, when Michael came back on that, he's back to it. But now moving on to uh, Dennis Rodman. Like, what can you say? Like, the man, as much as people are down on him as a personality and how much he didn't really excel at life. Um, outside of basketball, inside of basketball, this man worked his butt off. Like, this man's talking about if Michael missed the um, missed on a certain part, um, on the left side of the floor, I knew the ball was coming straight down. If Michael missed on this side, I knew the ball was going here. He knew how to rebound the ball. He would have people out there shooting. He knew that um, Larry Bird's shot had some um, had spin on it. He knew that. Magic Johnson's shot had no spin. He knew that, like, the way he talked about rebounding the basketball, the weaknesses of a defense, his headphones are on, he's watching film. Um, and then the mutual respect between him and Phil Jackson and him and Chuck Daly and then him and, um, John Sally or him and Michael Jordan or him and Scottie Pippen or him and Joe Dumars or him and Isaiah Thomas, um, like, these are people who understood that this man was, one, flawed, but two, needed a whole lot of rope. But he would always come back with a mutual respect for you because you had a mutual respect for who he was outside of basketball. And and even now, he's got that Michael Mike Tyson type of um, lovability outside of basketball. Now, like Mike Tyson is outside of the ring, he finally got his life together. And life didn't end for him at age 37 or 38 when he left the NBA. He realized that he had a whole nother life to live. You know, he probably had another double life to live. Like people don't realize that these athletes are human beings and they don't know what to do or identify with themselves after the fact. After they leave the court, he said something very powerful. He said, I would play basketball for free. But what they pay me for is to deal with all the crap outside of basketball when I got to talk to you, the media, or I got to go and be myself and live my life. That's what they pay me for is to go live my life. I would do basketball for free in a heartbeat if everything was as simple as basketball. And that's a powerful statement. So you kind of got a better, introspective look of who Dennis Rodman was outside of his just his 30 for 30. Um, And then you move on to, um, you know, basically... Um, Michael getting over the hump. And I've talked about this a little bit before in this podcast, but I'm going to go back to it again. Please don't let people like Shannon Sharp or um, Nick Wright or anyone else tell you from here on out that Michael Jordan is so glorified for losing to the Celtics or so glorified for losing to the Pistons or his losses before those didn't count when they all counted against him. It's just Michael worked his butt off to make sure it never counted against him again. He won six straight finals because he didn't want to hear what people said about him in the six years leading up to him winning his six straight finals. That's all you need to know. And also, when Pippen sat out, <laughs> it's something that really irked me after the last dance, first two episodes. Um, and they were talking about Scotty Pippen sitting out and Michael Jordan and the Bulls were just average. Scotty comes back. And if you saw the screen, it said the Bulls were 21 and sorry, 20 and 10. That's their record. They're winning two out of every three games without Scottie Pippen. They started four and four. And from then on out, they went 14 and six. I'm sorry, but that's a clear, distinctive difference from when Michael was out. Yeah, they won 50-plus games the first year. But when Michael came back, the year Michael came back, the Bulls were a 500 team. Literally, the first game back, when he came back, they were a 500 team. That means they had as many wins as they had losses. The season he came back, his first game back, he pushed them one game over 500. And then they closed out the season 10 games over 500. They were in danger of not making the playoffs. The Bulls, in no way, shape, or form in 1998, were in danger of missing the playoffs. Again, they were not in danger of missing the playoffs when Scottie Pippen sat out. I need people to stop telling that lie. I need people to stop listening to Shannon because you didn't watch the first two episodes. Stop telling that lie. Michael and Scottie were two different entities in their impact on the team. So stop trying to glorify Pippen as, you know, on equal footing as Michael Jordan when you're trying to say Michael had all this help, yes, Scotty was very integral. Yes, Scotty took the burden off of him um, in certain situations. Yes, Scotty is a part of the reason that Michael won. All that is true, but Scotty is not on the level of Dwayne Wade. Scotty is not on the level of of Chris Bosh or Kyrie Irving or um, what Kevin Love was before he got with LeBron. Like, I just need these lies not to stop being told. Scotty's a top 50 or 60 player of all time, for sure. But he is not, and I repeat, is not on the level of a top 10 player in the league at any time that he was in the league. He just wasn't. He was maybe top 15, but never top 10. And the players we're mentioning, before they got with LeBron, people were talking about them being top five, top ten players in the league. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, as far as climbing that mountain, he climbed it. He did what he had to do. And when he got on top, no one else ate. And then in 98, you know, we all know what happens at the end, but... The journey to get there is quite special. I like how they're telling the story, even though it, if you ever saw the movie The Other Guys, um, how David Ershon, um character, the the villain in the movie, how he's running a Ponzi scheme or whatever with the police union. He's like, Well, in order for me to tell the story, I'm gonna, you know, go back to the past, then come back to the front, and then go back to the past, then go back to the front, and then squeeze myself in the middle so it can all tie in together. Like this is how they're telling the story and I just find it hilarious because I know that movie and it's funny, if anybody's seen the other guys, um, uh, with uh, Will Ferrell and um uh what's your boy, Mark Wahlberg, you'll you'll understand the scene that I'm talking about. But, uh, that was the last dance um, um from you know episodes three and four, in my opinion, other than the recap of everything that went down in the last dance um, this is the program I gave you a good eighteen minutes of a solid show. I hope you guys can discuss it, enjoy it, got your opinion, leave your notes on the Facebook page, comments, or whatever the case may be. but uh, it was a fun two episodes, and I'm glad that they're starting the show. You know, the adversity, not just in the media, but on the floor that Michael faced and what they said about Michael prior to him winning, because that story needed to be told as well. Thanks for listening and uh, see you next week uh, when the program comes back for episodes uh, five and six. Um, also, I'm working on something special. Um, and hopefully uh, these interviews go as according to plan. But I'll have some introspective looks from some um players, um, local players with some pro pro background, um, whether it be in Europe or South America or even in the NBA or even one that's actually going to the NFL as an undrafted free agent. So look forward for the, that content coming soon. Hopefully I can debut all that stuff in May. Um, but thanks for listening to the program um, and uh, let's enjoy the last dance.